been great to be with Joshua Generation and working with people who are hungry for the Holy Spirit. It's been great. We've loved it. And uh, God has been so good. And I believe today you've come, you're wanting God to touch your life. Uh, as you open up to the Word of God today, I believe at the end of the meeting that uh, God can bring tremendous shifts in your life in just one moment of time. And uh, while I believe that we need to journey with Him, I also believe that in moments you can have encounters that shift things and break you out of where you are and lift you up to another level. And that's our belief today, that God would help you. Each uh, session I'm doing a different message. The session after this, I'll speak on deliverance. I want to speak directly around the earth, deliverance from spirits, uh, how spirits afflict people, and people afflict them, how you'd recognize that, and then how to get free. And so if you're able to stay, then why not stay? Keep your demons and keep them for the next service. And <laughs> And uh, all the baggage, we call it, you know. <laughs> and bring it along and we'll help you out. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we believe God just wants to help you. God's a great God, loving God. And uh, we come from uh, uh, Hastings in New Zealand. I have a family of seven children with a wonderful wife and mother and uh, 20 grandchildren. So we're busy all the time. And uh, it's just something to keep on to it. Uh, a lot of the time we travel up in Asia, and uh, we love going up into Asia and, and uh, working and helping people flow into things of the Spirit. And uh, I believe today, though, God is going to help you. I thought God uh, put a couple of things on my heart for today, and uh, I want to uh, get into that, share with you some things. I want to help you in two ways. One, uh, just uh, what I'm going to share from the Word of God will help you to help someone else, but on the other hand, it will help you as well. And so I want to give you some keys to say you can help someone. Uh, in a particular situation. Second, I want to uh, give you a process that you can find your way uh, perhaps out of where you are. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't you have a look with me then? We're going to start and uh, we're going to just look at two verses, uh, uh, two passages rather. First, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. And I just want to use that as a launch pad to start. And then where I'm going to go to is in Luke uh, 24. And I want, <clears throat> I want to speak on dealing with disappointments in life, dealing with disappointments. And uh, let's have a look, first of all, and just see God's perspective. Now, 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 this meeting today, now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace through believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice how God reveals himself. He is a God of hope. That's who he is, a God of hope. In another place it said he's the God of all comfort. And so we find the nature of God He's positive, he looks ahead and sees your life, and he sees great things ahead for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not evil, that you might have a hope that you can look forward to. So notice in this verse it says, now, now, today, God wants to fill you with joy and peace through believing that your life may be lived looking forward to today, tomorrow, the future. That's exactly the opposite of being anxious and depressed. Exactly the opposite. person who's depressed has a sense of heaviness, overwhelm, and nothing to look forward to. God wants us to be the most positive people that you can have in a community. Why? Because we're accessing God who keeps us, no matter what we're facing, keeps us in a place where we can look forward, that even if it looks bad, it will turn for our good. That even if it looks like a disaster, God can use, us, use it to get us where he wants us to get. You think about uh, Joseph and his 
have this dream and vision, look like all hope is lost when he's in the lowest prison that God was preparing a person to be a ruler. And it turned in just a moment when he responded to God's preparation. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you have faced. But all I know is this, is that God wants to fill you again with hope, wants you to dream again, wants you to look to your future and say, there are great things ahead. And it comes about by the Holy Ghost lifting us up on the inside as we choose to believe instead of doubt and focus on our negative. I'm just going to Luke chapter 24, which is where we're going to teach from today. Luke chapter 24. <coughs> Luke 24 and around about verse uh, 13. And uh, as you're finding it, I want to share with you a story. I have a, a friend of mine who's a very influential uh, uh, man in both business and in ministry in Asia. And uh, I went up to him one time and uh, I was informed that his wife had cancer. And uh, I was also informed that all the intercessors uh, were telling him she was going to be healed and the prophets had come and prophesied she was going to be healed. And uh, I have my alarm bells go off when people are like that. And I began to just reflect and say, Lord, what's happening? And uh, I spoke to him, and, I, and it was a little difficult to do this because I was the only one to say this, really. And I said to him, you know, God, I feel God. He asked me, well, what do you feel? What is God showing you? And I said to him, well, you know, I love you. But I feel God has shown me that in six months, you're going to have like a spiritual tsunami sweep over your life and everything for you will change. And I could tell very clearly just in the way the language of that prophetic word came, he's going to lose his wife in six months. And uh, anyway, he, he listened, he heard, but didn't hear. And almost six months to the day, she died. Now this created a huge problem because he was so persuaded by these words that had been given to him, well-meaning words, but ill-advised, that his wife was going to be healed, and it was a tremendous shock to him when she died. And uh, he's my friend, and, and uh, we've known one another a long time, so I made the effort to connect with him. I said, I want to set aside at least a day the next time I'm up there, maybe longer, to spend time with you. And uh, he was very glad to see me and very glad to spend time with we sat and talked and wept together a little, and uh, and I said to him, I see that you, and one of the things he said was, he said, everyone prophesied, and they said she was going to be healed, and she died. After she died, and after the funeral, I remembered you're the only one who said otherwise. And so he said, I need you to talk to me now. And I said, well, you have two problems currently you're facing, and one is a really serious one. Here's the first problem. The first problem is your wife has died. And this happens. I said, I noticed that everyone has tried to spiritualize it because she was a major intercessor and say it was a demonic attack and go through all of these things and they tried to come up with all these explanations of it all. But I said, you know what it is? Sometimes it's just time for people to die. And when it happens, it's never when we want. It's always a setback and a disappointment. And I said, I would not spiritualize this in any way if time came to an end. That's the end of the story. And I said, so here is what the problem is you face. You face what many others do when you lose your spouse. You're facing now a period of change in your life. And what you have lived like and walked like will all go through transition and change. I said, it's extremely disappointing. 
It's a great loss in your life. And I said, there's grief. And so you need about two years to process the grief. In those two years, make no major decisions. Just get routines back in your life again and begin to walk through the process of grief. I can guarantee by the space of about two years, you'll have come through this grief and you'll be out the other side. I said, the second issue that you face is far more serious. And I said, this is what is the issue you face. Your wife dying is something that happened in the past. And now you have to process it and get over it. But I said, on the journey, well-meaning people spoke words to you that were intended to give you hope, but instead they were wrong, and they led to a huge issue now of being able to trust God. If all of these people, who were so-called spiritual people, all said she was going to be healed and she didn't get healed, you have got a major issue ahead of you. And that is, can I trust God anymore? And he said, that's exactly it. And I said, well, that will affect your future. Because if you move out of this disappointment and you don't trust God, then it's going to affect all of the rest of your life, all of your future. And I said, what is needed is for you to be able to journey through this great disappointment and come out the other side with your faith strengthened so you come up to another level. I said, unless you recognize that this is what the issue is, you will actually just bury it in your heart and without even realizing it, draw back from your engagement with God. And I'm very glad to say that he listens and knows I love him and care about him. And uh, so we walked together over that period and by the end of two years, I said, I gave him some specific things to do. And you'll see some of these things appear exactly in this passage I'm going to look at. And uh, I'll open up this passage for you and show you how Jesus engages with people who are deeply disappointed and how he helps them come out of the disappointment and puts fresh hope in their life. It's my experience that people everywhere have disappointing circumstances. We have things we look forward to and it didn't happen and we're disappointed. We have things we didn't expect and they happen and we're disappointed. Could be in finances, could be in marriage, could be with children, could be in ministry. It can be any area of our life. And I'm sure there are many people here today, and if you were to be honest, you're struggling with a deep disappointment somewhere that you haven't got past. You've dealt with it if it didn't bring it into the light that God can help you. I want to help you with that today. It's quite a simple task to sort this out. So this is what I advised them in counseling to do. I said, cut back your busyness, because this is time for reflection and for deepening the roots of your life. Second thing, take time every day systematically to be alone with God and to read His Word and let His words get in your heart and pour out your feelings day by day. Two things, pour out in your feelings and opening your heart to God and then letting his word come into your heart. I said, I can guarantee if you'll do this, the Spirit of God will work with you, you'll come out. Well, you should see him now. Two years afterwards, he's risen up, he's in a whole new place of peace and strength. He came and asked us, he said, I, I've met someone, and I'd like you to meet her too. I'd like your opinion about her. And he began to describe her. This is the thing I couldn't believe. It's like history repeated. I said, what is everyone saying about her? And uh, they said, well, they said, she's not the one for me. <laughs> I said, well, well, tell me about that. And I said, what do they say? He said, well, they're all saying, you need to marry someone in ministry. 
And uh, I said, is that what they say? I said, well, I'm going to give you opposite advice. <laughs> I said, actually, you don't need someone in ministry. You've already been married to someone in ministry. Your life went this way, and her life went that way, and actually what you're looking for didn't happen. What you need is someone who will partner with you in what God called you to do and stand alongside you and walk with you. So tell me about her. She told me about her said she sounds absolutely ideal for what you want. And so Joy and I met her. We both agreed this was a, a beautiful match. It got a heaven-sent match. And they got married, and it has worked out amazingly. So there's certain things that I'm always very careful about when it comes to prophetic. One of them is prophesying people being healed when you have not heard from God, and it's moving out of human compassion. And two, prophesying about relationships when actually this can be a whole issue of the heart that needs the person to think it through and act in wisdom. So let's have a look at this story here, little quiet. And, and, and. <laughs> okay, let's, well, the story's interesting. I love when God move in people, help people. It's exciting. So here it is here in uh, verse 13. And this is straight after the death of Jesus. This is a couple of days after Jesus' death, and it was a traumatic death. You know, they've walked with him for three years. The disciples have given their lives to serve him. Now, you've got to understand what this would be to them. And you're going to see it in a moment. There's a key verse in here which, which will help you understand that all of their expectations had been blown away, and what they expected to happen didn't happen. They were suffering a major disappointment and, and actually was in the level of a trauma in their life. And uh, disappointments can be all kinds of level and affect us in different ways. Look what happens here. Now, behold, the two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles, about 10K, from Jerusalem. And they talked together all of the things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, and they did not recognize him or know him. And he said, what kind of conversation is this you have had with one another uh, as you walk and are sad? Uh, the original language implies that they stopped and just looked sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You don't know the things that happened there these days? And he said, What things? And they said to him about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, there it is there, we were hoping. We had an expectation that this is the core of their problem, is what they were expecting hadn't happened, and they're in shock, and they're trying to work out how to handle it. And I'm going to show you what, how they tried to handle it, and then how Jesus helped them. We were hoping he was going to redeem Israel. And besides, this is the third day since these things happened. Even certain women of our company arrived at the tomb, astonished us, and they didn't find his body. They said they'd seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. They thought this was ridiculous, of course. And certain of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they didn't see. They said, foolish one, slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophet, expounded to, him, to them all the things in the scripture concerning him. And then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he would have gone further, but they constrained him, or they put pressure for him to stay with them. Abide with us, it's towards evening, and the day is far spent. He went to stay with them. And now as it came to pass, he stood at table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open. They knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. 
Then they said, Didn't our heart burn within us while he talked us on the road and opened the scriptures? Now remember, it's night time, and they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven gathered together and said, The Lord has risen indeed. Well, okay, now let's have a look at the story. First of all, you understand that these two days have passed or so. Uh, these young disciples have followed a, they've, they've answered a call to follow Jesus Christ. They've given up their careers, given up their fishing business, given up all kinds of things. They've actually laid down their lives, and for three years they're living with them, they're ministering with them. They're the center of attention. There are crowds. They are famous. Where would Jesus? And he's the great prophet. Everywhere he went, multitudes came out. There was contention around them. There were supernatural things. It was the most dramatic lifestyle for three years, living, talking, walking with them. And then suddenly, it's all over unexpectedly. They were expecting he would redeem Israel. They had their own mindset about how God would work. They were fixed in their thinking about how their future would look. They're going to be beside Jesus. He's going to restore the kingdom. And we're going to be in a great place. And so they were excited about the future. And suddenly everything has come to an end. They've seen this traumatic execution of Jesus. They've watched it. They've seen it. One they loved and were with. They've had to go through the whole trauma of watching him be crucified and seeing him die and then being buried. And they're in a state of shock and extreme disappointment. And it shows up in certain ways. Notice here it says they were going... To Emmaus. Now, there are several things that people do when they're disappointed. Disappointment affects your heart, affects how you feel, it affects your perspective in life. Notice several things you can observe about them. The first thing, they were talking about these things. Usually when someone has been hurt or knocked or disappointed, they find someone else to talk about their stuff with. And the tendency is to draw to someone else who's also negative rather than find someone who can help you through it. So they get on the phone and complain and talk, and, and, and in the end, all the poison and the disappointment and the bitterness comes out. Others get defiled by it, rather than saying, who can I turn to that can lift up my faith and my hope again? And notice the second thing that they were doing there is they were reasoning. They're trying to figure it out. When people go through a painful situation, we try to work it all out in our mind. We try to work out what this happened, how this has happened. And often they can come conflict. Notice their conflict is around what they thought Jesus would do, what the scriptures said he would do, and how they experienced them working. John the Baptist went through the same kind of conflict. He came and said, oh, this is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And then a little later he sends messengers saying from prison, are you the one? I'm not quite sure. And Jesus said, blessed is the one who's not offended in me. In other words, John was going through grave doubts. His faith was being shaken because what he expected to happen didn't happen. And I tell you this about the Holy Ghost, about the way God moves. He just does stuff you don't expect. And he does it in ways you don't expect. And it can either disappoint you or greatly upset you. Because it's, well, it's not what I expected, like I'm running the world. Well, I didn't think that was going to happen. Well, while I prayed, I didn't think you were going to do it that way. Why did that happen? It's like we use prayer to try and get God to make our world nice for us. It's not going to work that way. God is God. He's got a plan. And he's going to work it out. Like Joseph, you know. Oh, I got these dreams. You want to hear my dreams? I've had some prophetic words about what I'm going to do. And he just offended everyone. And he ends up in jail. Hello? What happened to the dream? It says, the word of God 
tried him. In other words, he had to hold on to God no matter what the circumstances looked like. And then he came out the other side prepared. So, you notice the tendency when people have been disappointed is they tend to talk about their disappointment, try to reason. Notice the third thing is they're unable to recognize Jesus. That's a bit of a hard one to fathom, isn't it? Jesus they've walked with, he's right there with them, they can't see him or recognize him. Maybe the form he took on was different, but here's something, is when you're caught up in disappointment, it's often hard to see what God is doing because your emotions are in so much turmoil and you can't spiritually see. So you're going to have to deal with your heart before you get to see what God is doing. And so some of you may be facing situations which are painful, disappointing, and you're trying to figure it all out but can't figure it out. You've reasoned, you've prayed, and yet nothing seems to happen. And you get in this reasoning and disappointed state. And you know, when someone talks to you, download this stuff on them. And, and you can't sort of see what Jesus is doing. That's all part of holding grief and disappointment in your heart. Notice the next thing that happened. It says, the next thing you notice is he said, why are you so sad? So whenever there's that grief and disappointment in our life, one of the places it shows up is in the face. You can always watch. I look at people when I go to places, go to McDonald's, go down the street. I look. I just look at the faces, and you'd be surprised how quickly and easily you can see grief and disappointment on people's face. They will just show it. There'll be glimpses of it come up. It always shows what's in your heart inevitably comes out and shows on your face. And uh, you notice the next thing uh, there, it says that they were, the, the word says sad, but actually it means literally this, sullen, gloomy, angry. In other words, they were quite depressed. A lot of people struggle with depression, and underneath depression, usually a root of anger because something we expected didn't happen. Because something's happened in our life that really set us back, and we're angry and upset about it, and we've buried all the emotions and haven't processed it, it always shows up, and of course demonic spirits oppress people when it's like that. The, the next thing, <laughs> the next thing you'll see here is this. You notice they were going to Emmaus. Now the, the name Emmaus was a village where they had hot springs. So if you wanted to go and feel good, you went to the hot springs, had a glass of red wine. Now notice here's the, here's the one. I want you to notice this: that in the face of disappointment and offense, they began to draw away from Jerusalem, the place of their calling, and look to go to somewhere where they could feel better. Many believers, when they face disappointments in the journey with God, withdraw from the church, withdraw from connection, withdraw from where God has put them, and then try and substitute comforts. And for them, it was the red wine and the hot bowl. I don't know what it is that you're looking for. Where do you go when you're in pain and disappointment? I remember <laughs> I took a couple of leaders and went out for a meal one time. And uh, we were at this hotel. It was a nice meal. As we were going out, there was another part of the hotel where there was a bar, and it was pumping. Man, that music was hot. They had a DJ going and the music. It was dancing music. And I thought, this is great. I've got to go in here and have a look. And uh, so we popped in and had a look, and uh, just at the very point that we got in there, the, uh, they had kind of all of the uh, all of the hostesses and whatever in the, in the hotel there, and the, and the young guys doing all the serving. They leapt up on the bar, and they had the, the team song. And so they played that song. Everyone's up about jumping and dancing around. They whoa, this is something else. Everyone's loving it, you know. And uh, so I thought, this is great. And then I thought, you know, I bet there'd be some Christians in here. And uh, I said, I said to Paul, let's go and have a look. So we went and had a look. I said, I'm just going to wait a moment. I said, there's bound to be a backslider here somewhere. 
They're just bound to be. I mean, if you can't stay in the joy of the Holy Ghost, you've got to find something to feel better. Go down the pub and drink some bite, some wines or whatever and watch rugby or some kind of thing like that. That's what people do. They've got to feel, they want to feel better. But there's a way to resolve stuff. And it doesn't involve that. So anyway, I'm standing there and I said, look, there's one there. He used to be in our church. I said, you watch this. And so I went up and I just stood behind him. And uh, and uh, so I wait. And of course, I had to keep my eyes down because this girl up there dancing on the bar. And uh, so I just stood there just behind him, just right behind him, you see. And uh, so he's he's getting a whole all these beers. So he's got his whole arm and a whole tray full of beers, you see. So he's got them all. He's paper. I didn't say a word. Just waited behind him. He turns around and, of course, he's looking straight at me. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. What happened? And of course, he can't move away from the bar. He's got all these drinks and we're having a talk now. And I said, what happened to you? You were once on fire for the Lord. What's happened? And he just started to talk. Told him all the drinks. The music's all pumping. And he started to talk about a broken relationship and how he was disappointed and got offended at God. And here he was. Here he was. Where is he? He's at a place called Emmaus. Happens for that situation to be a pub with the music and the dance and the drink. You're trying to feel better. Next day he was in church. I got excited about that. A businessman. What would we do a pub crawl? We'll do a Holy Ghost pub crawl. Let's go and find some disappointed, offended Christians. So we did a walk around the town. And we found one in every pub. Well, how fantastic. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I said, I go where God wants me to go, and he wants me to go here to talk with you. He sent me to talk with you. So when people are disappointed, if they don't resolve it properly, then it becomes a problem in the life, and often the tendency is to draw back from engaging God. And so you can go to church and be lifting up your hands and worshiping, but your heart won't engage because inside there's an unresolved, disappointment of conflict with God that needs to be sorted out. And uh, so let's have a look at how Jesus handled it. Get great things. See? Get great things. Like Here's another thing. In Asia, they have a word for endure. And uh, the Chinese word for endure, the Chinese word made up of characters. And uh, what they told me was this. They told me that the word for endure is a heart with a knife over the top. In other words, like, it goes like this. Bury your feelings and keep on anyway. See, that's one of the most uncomfortable things you could possibly do. It looks good, but actually it avoids reality. And it means bitterness is most likely to get into your heart and demonic spirits that have access because of what you're going through. So how did Jesus address it? I love this. This is just how did Jesus deal with the thing? And uh, see, notice, notice the first thing that he did was he came near to me. You want to help someone who's disappointed, you've got to initiate connection with them because they're already moving away from their place of fellowship connection. You've got to initiate it. And so one of the things, you want to help people who are disappointed or facing these issues in life, go near to them. And uh, notice the second thing that Jesus did was he asked them what they're talking about. He said, what kind of conversations are you having? In other words, he entered this world not to preach to them. He entered this world to talk with them and inquire what's going on in their life. You'll be amazed if you will just inquire what's happening in people's lives, how willing they are to talk to you. Most of us are too busy trying to tell people about something or tell them what to do. But if you have a heart to listen, 
every day that I pray, I pray that God will give me a listening heart to hear people's heart, what's going on in their heart, to ask the kind of questions that would allow a person to talk about what was going on in their heart. See, because that's how Jesus did it. He didn't come along to condemn them. He didn't say, what you got? What? I told you this thing. I told you I was going to rise from the dead. What's wrong with you boys? He didn't do that. He said, hey, tell us what you're talking about. In other words, he entered into where their concerns were into their discussion. Now, I had a group that I was working with, discipling at one stage, and I said, why don't you for a whole week connect with people and just begin to enter their world and inquire what's happening. Ask questions. Don't try and tell them what. Or don't talk about yourself. Don't try and tell them all kinds of stuff. Just enter their world with interest, inquiring with questions, searching for what's going on in their heart. You will be amazed how many people will talk to you and tell you all kinds of things. And they came back a week later and said, we're amazed we've had some of the best conversations we've ever had. Because they're just a heart to hear. And so the first thing when someone's in distress is don't go with an answer, go to hear them. What is going on in your world? Don't go to fix people, go to hear them. And uh, you find things that work much better. <laughs> okay then. So let's see, the, the second thing, that it, the third thing is, so first he entered their world, second thing he asked what they're doing, the third thing was he identified their prevailing emotions. Notice what he said, he said, I noticed that you are sad. Now, a lot of people find it really hard to talk about emotions, but emotions are part of our makeup. You can't just ignore emotions. Emotions uh, in your, uh, to your heart, what the oil indicator light is to your engine. If you're driving a car and a red light goes on, the indicator light goes on, and it says oil. Now, you don't look at it and say, I think that light. I refuse to look at that light. I'm not going to look at that light. I won't look at that light. I don't believe in lights. That'd be, that, that's so stupid, you know. After a while, the engine breaks down. They've got a big expense, which could have been avoided if you looked at the light. You know? Or you don't look at the light and say, I'll cover it then. I'll get a piece of tape, tape over it, and bury it. There it is. Ha! Right, we can get on with our driving again. You know, after a little while, that engine's going to fail. You've got a lot of money going on. You don't look at it and say, I just cannot stand the light, and you begin to take a hammer to it and smash it. There it is, no more lights. I've now controlled this whole thing. There will be no red lights in my car. Listen, this is all crazy stuff. And yet, people treat their emotions the same way. They treat the feelings of the heart. So you come into a church, how's it, how does it operate in the church? Well, it operates something like this. You know, I'm already feeling a bit down with it. Oh, you shouldn't feel like that. Pick yourself up. The light just got broken. <laughs> so how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling really sad about that. Well, come on. You need to hope in the Lord, you know. Hit yourself. Get a Bible verse and begin to quote a Bible verse. You'll be right. You understand, this is not engaging what's going on in the person's life. This is actually saying, I'm uncomfortable with emotions, and I'm going to just control this whole thing now, so you can't enter my world with your negative. I don't feel comfortable with that. But Jesus was comfortable with emotions. He could weep openly. He could express his emotions in prayer, crying openly. He, he was able to he express his anger in a very creative way. He, he, he expressed his feelings. They're given to us. They're just indicators of the heart. So when Jesus says, I notice you are sad, 
he's bringing out to the open the feelings so he can address the heart. And very soon after you've got the feelings out, you can deal with the heart. Under the feelings you have lies the heart beliefs. Now, if you control the emotions and don't allow yourself to engage what you feel and identify what you feel and then put a name on it and find out what's causing that, you don't get access to the heart beliefs and you don't deal with the real problem. You'll notice in a moment, having asked about how they're feeling and pointing out what's going on, the next thing, we will go down to the heart beliefs. Why are you feeling like that? It's because of the way you see this and what you believe about it. Think about that. Get quiet. Tell someone next to you, talking to you. This is for you. Hope you're listening, you know. <laughs> hey, but while I'm, while I'm telling you this, I, 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 I didn't bring the clip with me, but you might like to look up on YouTube. There's, a, there's a, one of the funniest clips you'll ever see, and it's, uh, it's a clip called Nail in the Head. And you will love it. It is a brilliant one about a man and a woman. And uh, she's got a nail stuck in her head. He's trying to fix it. She wants him to understand how to do it. Have a look at it. You'll find it's a very good one. So for all those Christians who love to fix someone else up, this is a good one. And, uh, okay, so you notice that Tawadi was pointed out what was going on there. He pointed out and identified and drew out what they felt. So if you're going to help someone who's gone through pain and disappointment, you have to draw out what is going on in their world and discover and let them articulate what they're feeling and what they're struggling with. That gives you room then to engage the real issue, which are the heart beliefs. You notice the next thing that he does is he speaks to their belief system. Notice what they're talking, verse 21, well, we were hoping he's going to redeem Israel. Actually, he just hasn't been Israel. Their whole perspective is wrong. They, they were right, but they were wrong. They had a perspective. They thought they knew how God was going to work, but when he worked differently, then they were disappointed and not back. And so then Jesus knows what he says. He said, uh, he, he, he goes down there and he says, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Okay? He addresses the heart stuff. Uh, and he's addressing the belief system. So notice what he says. He said, you are very slow to catch on. That's what he does. You're slow to catch on. But what he does is he begins to address what they believe in their heart. Now what you believe in your heart will affect how you react and interact with life what you believe in your heart. For example, I, I actually joined this as an example the other day. And uh, he's speaking to someone, and, uh, and uh, he said, well, suppose Pastor David came into the, into, the, uh, into the auditorium, and he's on his way up there to take over and set up the meeting, you see. And suppose there are two people at the door, and uh, they both say, they're talking to one another, and they say, oh, morning, Pastor David, how are you? And he just is so busy, so uh, caught in what he's doing, that he just walks right past and just didn't hear them. It does happen, you know. You get so preoccupied, you don't hear what people have to say. And one looks and says, oh, he's just busy, I'll catch him later. The other one looks and says, he doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. I knew it. I knew it. He's got something against me. Now, you understand, both have the same experience with the same person, but what they believed in their heart determined how they interpreted what happened. See? And as George was saying to the lady, she said, oh, that's exactly what I thought. So she was caught out in that sense that the heart belief came up straight away. And you're able to say, well, that's a rejection belief. You've got to reject and the people and authority will, will, will reject you. You've got a belief system. So you notice here, the issue was their belief system. So if you think about the disappointments you face, they are real, they have been painful, perhaps for some, they've been a level of traumatic. 
However, what you believe about it will affect what you do after that. How you interpret this, how you respond to this, and you will respond according to what you believe, because as a man thinks in his heart, that's how he is. So if you have something happen, so this is why you find, for example, uh, a woman who's sexually abused experiences a traumatic setback in her life. But the actual abuse was one thing. How she interprets it all about herself and what she believes about herself then impacts all the rest of her life. So a traumatic situation, you can face it and walk through it. But if you interpret it, this means all men will treat me this way. This means I have no value. This means that I hate myself. If you interpret it that way, then what happens is that will affect all the rest of your life. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart diligently, or out of it are the borders of your life. And so we find as we travel, many people have had painful experiences, but they've reacted and formed deep belief systems that now permeate and affect every aspect of their life and limit them. God wants you to deal with disappointments in, in an appropriate way. So what did Jesus do? We've had a look now. We came near to them. You want to help someone? Come near to them. Enter their world. Second, he just inquired what was going on. Third, he found out and pointed out and drew out their prevailing emotions. Fourth, he began to talk about what they believed. And then he brought insight and revelation to them of truth. And that, that started to shift. That is what they said. Oh, Burn as he was telling us the truth. I was talking to a, uh, I was just doing a prayer walk the other morning, as I always do, and uh, I went past a girl, and this girl sitting on a, sitting on a wall, singing. And she's got the earplugs in, it's like one of the ads, just singing away, <laughs> like there's no one around, and she's singing at the heart, and I thought, that's beautiful. And so I watched, and I walked past her, and, uh, and uh, heard her sing, and sounded really, she, I thought, you're a real good singer. And then I came back, I thought I would stop and see what's going on. And so I stopped and talked, and I said, that's beautiful singing. You know, one she said, I said, what, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm practicing. I, I've got an audition on Monday. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Well, then just talked with her. And, uh, and she was quite, I said, well, how, how many other auditions you have? Well, this is the second audition. Uh, but everyone else was eliminated. I said, this is great. It looks like you're in the run for the job. I said, how did it go? She said, well, they told me that I was just trying too hard and straining too hard. I said, really? Why was that? And she said, well, I just really wanted to get this role. And I said, oh, I think it's really nice. I said, well, here's what you could do. Why don't you just, instead of singing for them and instead of trying to get the role, why don't you just sing for yourself and for the enjoyment of your singing? Why don't you begin to imagine how you really love me and they're going to be impressed with me and you begin to see in your mind's eye before you ever get there that this is all going to go well. And immediately I could see a reaction on it. And I, I said, you have trouble in the way you see yourself, don't you? And she, she didn't say anything, but it was all on her face. I said, when I, when I said, why don't you just believe and see everyone loving you and loving your gift? I said, you reacted because you don't believe that about yourself. And I said, if you could shift that belief in your heart, it'll change how you perform. Because here's what's happening. Your belief in your heart putting pressure on your voice, pressure on you to strive, because you don't believe you're good enough, you don't believe people will like you, and so therefore you're pushing to try and make them like you, and this is what's straining your voice. And she was, you know, she only had a little bit of time to get back to work, so I couldn't stay there. That's 
hadn't been led to the Lord. But it just it wasn't it just wasn't appropriate to push an agenda just to bless her and help her. And but you see, notice the belief system was creating the problem in her life. Once she could see all I need to do to deal with the belief system, my life would change. And belief systems are often locked up with painful experience and disappointment you've had. So the last two things that Jesus did is he began to open the word of God to shift their thinking and then he had communion with them and renewed or reminded them they are in covenant with God. And so I want to show you just a couple of things now. If you're facing disappointment, facing issues in your life, how you could apply what's in this passage and begin to start to deal with things yourself. Would that be helpful? Okay, let's have a look. Here, number one. Number one, when you face the disappointment setback, the first place to go is into the presence of the Lord. We need to come near Him. We need to draw near to Him. The Bible says He's the God of all comfort. All comfort. That's His name, Comforter. So if you're facing distress, disappointment, and pressure, then come to the all comforter. 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Now the God of all comfort comfort you in all your tribulation. In other words, whatever you're facing, in all of it, He wants to comfort you. And He's got two goals in mind. One, to comfort you, so that you know Him as a comforter. Number two, so you will be equipped to comfort others. Now the God of all comfort comfort you in all your tribulation in order that you may be able to comfort others with the comfort you have received from God. Instead of just saying, cheer up, it'll all be better. You just need to pray harder. That's not comforting people. Putting a pressure on them and showing a total unawareness of their situation. Or, you know what? You need to forgive. You know what the Bible says? Forgive. You need to forgive. Why are you even saying you need to forgive the person's getting angrier and angrier than anything? Because you're missing their heart. She said, the God of all comfort, comfort you in all your tribute. God wants to help you wherever you're stuck, whatever you've gone through, He wants to help you. How does it? Number one, you've got to come to Him first of all. So, well, He's the one that caused the problem. No, He didn't cause the problem, but He is the answer. Okay. Number two, face the disappointment. Oh, oh face it openly. <clears throat> Remember Jesus drew out their disappointment? What's going on? So why are you sad? When did you first start getting sad? How did this happen? What happened? How did it affect you? How have you reacted? Just get it all out there. God knows it's there. Some people are afraid to say how angry they are. I'm angry! I'm so disappointed. They're afraid to say that. Get struck down with fire. Never know what. Listen, God knows that's in your heart. You're the only one who won't admit it. You're the one who's living in this fantasy world. You won't admit it. Better to come straight out. You know, you, you look at the Psalms with David. You know, I look around at unsafe people. They're doing so well and I'm in so much trouble. What is this all about? He pours it out. Then he said, I went into the sanctuary and I saw their end. <gasps> you see, so you notice that the Bible encourages us to pour out a heart before the Lord. So pour out your express it, express the things openly, have a cry if you need to cry, let your anger come out and admit it. Then when you've got to that stage, that's when you can start to process it. But until you open your heart and bring things out in the presence of the Lord, they don't go away. So partly it's admitting that the pain and the emotions of it. The next thing is we need to just deal with anger and resentment and bitterness that may come in through those disappointments. And the way to deal with it is forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. Unforgiveness or anger, anger is a hidden demand. You owe me. You've taken something from me. 
I was expecting. And you took it away. I'm angry. The answer to it is to let go. Lord, I let it go. I let it go. I forgive. I release. If you don't forgive and release, I get until you know how big the get is. If I say, oh yeah, I forgive you, I forgive you. But I don't know whether that's a dollar or a million dollars. I haven't really engaged from my heart. So this is why it's always good to be healthy relationally and healthy spiritually if you just acknowledge your emotions, acknowledge what you feel, and then release forgiveness. Then go back into the Word of God, go back into the Word of God, and spend time regularly letting God's Word speak to your heart to strengthen you. As you read the Word of God, ask God to show, speak to me, tell me scriptures, tell me something. Holy Spirit, speak into my heart. Holy Spirit, come into that place where I've been here. Let me just give you a couple of examples. The first one was that man I spoke to. What I got into is every day is within the Word of God so his faith got rebuilt. There's another girl I, I did who did it a different way. And I'll just do this and finish with this and then we'll pray for people. And this is what we did. The girl had, been, had responded. We'd had a testimony. Uh, we gave and she responded. And she came up and then in this next meeting we were in late, late earlier this year, she, this is what she did. She shared her testimony how she was adopted at five years old. And she'd had a massive, horrendous life that got really out of order. And what she ended up doing was messed up a life of relationships that she'd come to Jesus. And God spoke to me, I want to heal her. And so the, uh, I, I got the girl up after I'd been to Jesus. I said, look, thank you for your testimony. That was so great to share the pain that you felt. And I'm sure that's made room for a lot of other people to respond. I said, but Jesus wants to heal you. And... And uh, I said, would you like me to pray with you? She said, yes. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Can you remember what happened? She said, I can vividly. I said, well, close your eyes right now, and just as you close your eyes, remember what happened and let it come up. I said, when that happened, you didn't see what Jesus was doing. Right now, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real for you. And so she closed her eyes. She began to weep as she remembered the day her mother handed her over to some other woman. And that's when the anger and the abandonment and stuff started gathering the life. And I said, now, look for where Jesus is. I said, can you see him? And the Holy Spirit made Jesus real. She saw Jesus standing there, and he was weeping too, sad for her. And he said to her, it's not your fault. And she began to weep. I said, why don't you reach out to Jesus? And she did this. I didn't expect her to put a hand out, but she's standing like this. Just standing there weeping, and then she put a hand out like that, like she's reaching out to touch someone who's just in front of her. Then she broke, and she remained there for an hour and a half. It's just physically impossible to do. She remained reaching out like that, just frozen. I carried on the meeting, preached the gospel, had an old call. We put three people around because she was down on the front, put people around to protect her, so no one bumped her. And then as soon as it was all over, come back again. Now what happened was. In her trauma and pain, she encountered Jesus. She encountered him. Holy Spirit made him real. He began to speak about the belief systems, about how she'd run her life. He began to talk to her, and he told her how much he loved her, and he would never leave her. We saw her the next day, she's like another person. Notice what Jesus did with the disciples. Came near to them, got them to share what was in their heart, open their heart up. Began to discover what they believed started to put the word in there and reminded them through covenant, I will never leave you. Let me close their eyes right now. Maybe someone here who has not yet come to Jesus, I'd love to give you an opportunity right now to do that. To 
if you're not yet a Christian, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says you're living in this world without hope for eternity because you're separated from God. Sin is what separates us. It's something in us that makes us want to run our life our own way. But who you are today, and today you can make a vital decision to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this earth, came from heaven to earth, showed what the kingdom of God is like, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead after three days. And he said these words, Everyone who receives me, I give them power to come and to God. Everyone who makes me welcome. I want to extend invitation, first of all, to people here today who are not yet Christian and would like to make that step forward, the first step in following God. What you raise is what you can do now, where you are, and you see your name. Is anyone here? Where can you see Jesus? Would you raise your name? Right? We'd love to pray. We'd love to pray. While our eyes are still closed, I want to ask this question. How many of you today, as I was speaking and sharing, you just knew in your heart that speaking to you? That you are locked up with a disappointment, maybe a traumatic experience somewhere, or when there's trauma, spirits come around those things and torment us, it's like they never seem to go. Perhaps you've drawn back in your heart, you hear it shift, but you've drawn back from where you once used to be with God. And it's because of the disappointment, personally, the leader, and remember, set back in life. You expected something that didn't happen. Disappointment and offense got in. Now, just like the disciples, you've walked away from what you were called to be and do, and you just look at the Jesus is calling you to come back into that place of calling. You know that God is speaking to you in every way, but just raise your hand up and say, no, what do you mean? Just a little while, just got to have this next step. Pastor David's going to look up this next step. You're going to have an opportunity for people who want prayer to come forward. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And if the leaders people have hands on you, you will break out of that place. Like the disciples, return with joy to your court. Fantastic. So just before we move to that time of prayer, as I said, we want the first team to come.